0: From the studios of Postscript Media and Canary Media. Hey, it's Steven here. I'm dropping in with an episode of another one of our Postscript Media podcasts. It's called The Big Switch. Uh, our producer, Alexandria, actually works a lot on that show. It's made in collaboration with Columbia University. It's hosted by Dr. Melissa Lott. You've heard Dr. Melissa Lott on this show before. It's a narrative series about what it's going to take to make the energy transition happen across different sectors of the economy. So we do these mini-seasons, and we look at the different solution sets for stripping greenhouse gas emissions out of those different sectors of the economy or industries. This episode is about the race to produce green steel. Now, steel is one of those super hard-to-decarbonize industries. We need steel to make just about everything around us think cars, bridges, buildings, solar panels. We use about 2 billion tons of steel every year. But steel manufacturing uses a lot of fossil fuels, and it's responsible for about 8% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Some steel companies are betting on hydrogen as a path to decarbonization, but will it live up to the hype? That is all covered in this episode of The Big Switch. I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, If you like The Big Switch, just go subscribe to it wherever you listen to this podcast. And that is coming right up after a very brief word from our supporters of The Carbon Copy.
1: Faced with the surge of distributed energy resources, electric cars, and grid constraints, utilities are ramping up dynamic pricing. But the results are mixed. If utilities don't implement rates correctly or transparently, it could be a major roadblock for the energy transition and a headache for customers. On June 13th, Latitude Media and GridX will host a frontier forum to examine the imperative of good rate design and the consequences of getting it wrong. Register at the link in the show notes or go to latitudemedia.com events.
0: Clean energy and climate tech are policy-driven industries, and anyone working in this field touches local, state, and federal policy in a very real way. And that's why you should be listening to Political Climate, a podcast from Latitude Media and Boundary Stone Partners that delivers an insider's view on climate policy and politics. Every other week, co-hosts Julia Piper, Emily Dominich, and Brandon Hurlbuck cover the nuances of government funding, regulations, backroom negotiations, and the election, of course. Political Climate is a show for people who want authentic conversations and strong opinions. From voices across the political spectrum. Listen at latitudemedia.com or subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts.
1: Set. It's a fair start, and Bolt wastes no time. Seizes the lead immediately as they come to the top
2: of the home straightaway.
3: Let's go back to 2009, the World Athletic Championships in Berlin, which is the biggest track and field event outside of the Olympics. It's the 200 meter sprint, and Jamaica's Usain Bolt is far and away the favorite.
2: But it's again, no
1: contest, no contest. Lightning strikes twice as he crosses the finish line. Oh my God. He's
2: done it. 19.20, another world record for Usain Bolt.
3: The announcer is saying, no contest, no contest, because Usain Bolt has been racking up medal after medal since the 2008 Olympics, and he's making it look easy.
1: And Usain Bolt
0: has now broken his fifth world record in 12 months.
3: So why are we talking about Usain Bolt on a show about decarbonizing the economy? Because we love a good metaphor. And right now, there's a Usain Bolt in the steel industry that's turning heads. A technology that's flashy and confident, and maybe even a little cocky. One that looks poised to blow past its competitors in the race to zero carbon steel. The technology? Hydrogen.
2: We really have to talk about the big buzzword in the world of energy hydrogen. Hydrogen.
1: Hydrogen? hydrogen
2: the wonders of
1: hydrogen
0: hydrogen has been hailed as a fuel of the future hydrogen green hydrogen green hydrogen 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 you know green hydrogen everybody is so excited about hydrogen
3: this race to green zero carbon steel is a really big deal Cleaning up the steel industry would mean that we could cut global carbon pollution by 8 percent. That's more than the total greenhouse gas emissions from India. And some steel companies are betting big that hydrogen will be the one to pull it off. A lot
2: of momentum has been built around hydrogen.
3: But will it live up to the hype? This is the big switch. I'm Dr. Melissa Lott, and I'm the Director of Research at Columbia University's Center on Global Energy Policy, and I study the technologies and systems that power our world. Our lives are built around steel. Steel is the most
4: important metal in the world because it is used in pretty much everything. And aside from cement, it's the most widely used and made
3: material in the world. This is Julia Atwood. She works at a market research company called Bloomberg New Energy Finance. She's their head of advanced materials and spends a lot of her time on steel. It's the workhorse of the material world. Decarbonizing steel is also essential because we need it to decarbonize the world. Think about it. Solar panels, electric vehicles, even our power grid. Steel goes into everything we need to fight climate change. But here's the problem. Steel manufacturing uses a huge amount of fossil fuels today. The good news? Steel has a clear path to going green. It's not an easy path, but it's a straight one. Any conversation about decarbonizing an industry has to start with a basic question. How much of this material do we actually need? Julia says when it comes to steel, it's not as much as we think. There's just making everything with less steel. So that's making your tin cans a little bit thinner, making your cars a bit smaller. We can always find ways to use less, but Julia says that being more efficient with our steel isn't gonna be enough. I don't think we're actually going to make a lot of things better, not enough to make a real difference. I think there you're thinking about like a 10 or 20% improvement. Which means that we need to drastically change the way we make steel to reduce carbon emissions to fight climate change. And we need to do it really fast. There are four key technologies in this race to green steel. Four major competitors. The two that we all know about. You've got recycling. You've got
4: carbon capture.
3: And the two that almost nobody knows. You've got hydrogen. And then you have electrolysis. Recycling was the first competitor to enter the race. So if we were to think about these
4: technologies as a bunch of people lining up on the start line, recycling would be like your veteran sprinter.
2: Every year in Britain, half a million old cars are scrapped or are left abandoned by their owners in city streets, in country lanes, in woods and heathland.
3: In past episodes, we've talked about recycling in the context of concrete and chemicals. And in those industries, recycling just doesn't have a big role to play. It can help you a bit, but it's not out in front. In steel, it's really different.
2: The man in the street may well ask why scrapping old cars should be such a problem. After all, he pays anything up to a thousand pounds or so for his new car, and its raw materials must surely have some scrap value. Well, they do
4: steel is actually one of the best recycled materials in the world. Compared to plastics where you're recycling maybe 10% of it, steel is like 80 or 90% recycled. That's because it's easy to identify. You can pull it out of a hunk of other scrap with a magnet, and then you just return it to the manufacturers. They're putting it in a furnace,
3: turning it into recycled steel. Back in the day, recycling was a dirty process. You'd melt down the steel in these giant coal-fired furnaces. But nowadays, they can use these things called electric arc furnaces. And the great thing about them is that they can be powered with renewables. Electric arc furnaces can use intermittent power. So
4: they're great if you just plug them into wind and solar, because you're making the steel in batches.
3: But we need more steel than recycling can generate. We make about 2 billion
4: tons of steel today, every year. We think by 2050 that's
3: going to peak and level out at about 3 billion tons. We just don't have enough steel to meet the demand for more cars and more buildings and more transmission lines. So Julia says that this veteran sprinter probably won't be the one to get us to zero carbon steel. The guy
4: who's been around, he's done all the big races, but maybe his best days are behind him.
3: Which brings us to the next contender, carbon capture and storage, or CCS. The most controversial pick in the race. Maybe someone who's been done for
4: performance-enhancing drugs a few times, you know, has brought everyone's hopes up
3: and then been disappointed. About a decade ago, when concerns about climate change were ramping up, people started asking questions about carbon. Couldn't we just capture the CO2 coming out of the smokestacks in industry and coal-fired power plants and store it away somehow? Maybe we could lock it underground where it wouldn't escape. And they tried to use carbon capture and storage for something called
1: clean coal. Clean coal technology is something that can make America energy independent.
4: We can, we will. Clean coal, America's
1: power.
3: But this idea of clean coal hasn't really panned out. It has a bunch of really high-profile failures and cost overruns and shelved projects.
0: The track record, I'm afraid, globally is overwhelmingly one of failure. Two
1: things to know about carbon capture are that, one, the technology can work, it's been shown to work, and two, it's been nearly impossible for it to work profitably. Critics of CCS have also
3: raised concerns that using this technology would mean that we're locking in fossil fuels, and also that the technology doesn't work everywhere in the world, which is why, so far, CCS just hasn't taken off. But many in the steel industry, as well as experts like Julia, believe that CCS could still play a role in cleaning up steel, because they think that the technology is a better fit for industry than it was for coal-fired power plants. So let's rewind back to 2015. At that time in the steel industry, CCS was still considered a front-runner. But in Sweden, one steel company executive had an idea for a different solution, one that didn't require any fossil fuels.
2: When I grew up, uh, I was uh, very much uh, fascinated by steelmaking.
3: Martin Pei is chief technology officer at the Swedish steelmaker SSAB. Martin knew CCS wasn't the solution, and he claimed that he had a better idea, but nobody was buying it.
2: Then there were quite a lot of people uh, so skeptical they said this is not possible.
3: To understand why no one believed this idea that Martin and his Swedish colleagues were toying with, you have to understand how steel is made. So when we talk about the process of making steel, can you help me to visualize what's involved and to understand where do the emissions come from in that whole process?
4: The place to start is always with mining. So there you're digging these massive rocks out of the ground and they look nothing like steel. They're probably red, they're sandy, they genuinely just look like rocks. Then those get funneled into a furnace and that is where the reduction happens that is where iron ore that you dug out of the ground becomes iron so you're removing the impurities you're removing the oxygen that takes a lot of heat and it often takes coal so this is the highest emitting part of the process it's the most energy intensive this is where you have to focus your attention if you care about emissions Now, what's coming out of that is iron. And so then you have these much nicer-looking, orderly pellets that are going into a second furnace.
2: Like small balls, a little bit smaller in size uh, than strawberry, and that goes into uh, this uh, sharp furnace.
4: Now, that furnace can run on electricity, or you can run it on whatever you have to hand. But that is just where you're mixing in the extra ingredients to make your iron into steel. There's a lot of general heat in that process, which causes some emissions, but this isn't the major source. This is the finishing touches, the icing on the cake. After that, you have steel, and it's normally in a giant coil. And that huge coil is then rolled away somewhere to become sheets of steel or to become structural beams or to become the pieces of metal that go into your lamps and your chairs.
3: What Martin Pay's team wanted to do was try to replace the coal in the steelmaking process with something else. This is the third competitor in the race, hydrogen. Remember Usain Bolt from the top of the show? Well, hydrogen is Usain Bolt. It's a gas that's giving coal a serious run for its money.
4: Part of the beauty of hydrogen is that you can use it in some plants that are existing today. So it's really just a switch in what kind of gas you're pumping in. And everything is colorless and odorless, so you don't see much of a change. The way that that works is, you would push the hydrogen gas over your hot iron ore and the hydrogen atoms would swoop in and grab the oxygen and remove it. So it's becoming water. You see these big, uh, you know, kilns that are heating up with the red hot molten metal and it feels very industrial. You know, it feels like a, a Bond villain's lair where he's making his new weapon,
3: except you're just making steel. And here's the other beautiful thing about hydrogen. It can be made with 100% clean energy. All it takes is sending some electricity through water. So picture this, water is H2O. You shoot electricity through it and you separate the H's and the O's, leaving you with hydrogen and oxygen. So if hydrogen is such a good replacement for coal, why are people so skeptical of Martin Pei and his team? Because that zero-carbon process of making hydrogen, so splitting apart that water with electricity, that takes a lot of energy.
2: When I started to explain that we, we want to replace coal that we use, and we want to use electricity, it's going to take about 10% of Sweden's total electricity consumption.
3: That's a huge amount of electricity. The other big concern was that making steel with hydrogen would be so much more expensive compared to making steel with fossil fuels. Because of those really big electricity requirements and high costs, the industry insiders thought that switching to hydrogen was absolutely bonkers.
2: I heard that, oh, these are uh, your... your, uh, uh, idealistic people from Scandinavia. Um, you go ahead, and uh, we don't believe you.
1: <laughs> Mark your calendars for June 13th at noon Eastern. That's when Latitude Media and GridX will host a live interactive discussion on implementing modern utility rates. Dynamic rates are vital for motivating customers to electrify, adopt DERs, and embrace demand flexibility. Utility rates could make or break the energy transition. So how do we do it right? Join Latitude Media's Stephen Lacey, GridX CCO Scott Ingström, and economist Ahmad Farouki for an in-depth discussion on the future of rates on June 13th. Register for free by clicking the link in the show notes or go to latitudemedia.com events. I'm Julia Piper. I'm Brandon
0: Hurlbut. And I'm
1: Emily Dominich. A little over a year ago, political climate took a break so we could focus on the groundwork of implementing America's biggest ever climate bill the Inflation Reduction Act. I'm excited to say, political climate is back. And I'll be joined by my two co-hosts to riff on the top political stories and insider scoops from state houses to the halls of Congress to regulatory agencies and even international climate talks. We'll explain how those developments are driving industry decisions today.
0: Political climate is a show
3: for people who want authentic conversations. And to learn about how energy and climate policy is shaped within both political parties from the people who have actually helped shape it.
1: So join me, Brandon and Emily every other week, starting in April for fresh episodes of Political Climate. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: It took a few more years before hydrogen gained traction. But when it did, it came in with a lot of flash.
0: Our mission is to harness the power of hydrogen in steelmaking.
1: This is a new giant
2: step. A couple of years ago, it was blessing seen as a crazy idea. Hydrogen.
1: Hydrogen a key to decarbonization, and a game changer for steelmaking.
3: Today, every steel manufacturer in Europe and others around the world are piloting hydrogen projects like these. So what happened? Well, first, we had big steel customers actually demanding greener steel, specifically automakers.
2: The last couple of years, when the automotive industry has finally made up their mind Electrification of personal cars is the way to go. But then the carbon footprint of a car get focused on the carbon footprint of the car itself. And the biggest carbon footprint in a car is actually steel. So then we saw very clearly that the uh, uh, customers start to approach us.
3: And these customers? SSAB alone is partnering with Volvo, a big name brand, but also a Tesla competitor called Polestar. Other big automakers like Mercedes-Benz and BMW are looking into green steel too.
4: This is a company talking to another company and saying, I need green steel, I need lower emission steel, or I'm gonna go to somebody else to get it. And then what's convincing the automakers? is really policy. Automakers in Europe are being told that they're not just going to be judged on their tailpipe emissions, but on their whole life cycle emissions. So what kind of materials they're using matters.
3: This demand from consumers is a key reason why steelmakers have decided to invest heavily in zero-carbon technologies. And governments, which are some of the biggest consumers in the steel, are promising to pay for this green steel too. Essentially, steel manufacturers, well, they saw the writing on the wall. Steelmakers are afraid of their competition.
4: They're afraid of becoming obsolete if they don't move with the times.
3: And so the question was, what zero carbon technologies would steel companies bet on? Recycling could only go so far and CCS was still expensive, controversial and difficult. But hydrogen, on the other hand, was becoming more and more appealing. Hydrogen has a lot of advantages.
4: The simplest way to put it is that we think by 2050,
3: making steel with hydrogen could be the cheapest way to do it. Cheapest because hydrogen itself will become so cheap to make. And this is because of mostly two things. First, we can make hydrogen using zero carbon electricity, and that process is getting better and more affordable. And second, electricity is getting cheaper, and the cheaper the electricity, the cheaper the hydrogen. As we keep bringing on so many wind turbines and solar panels, we're seeing the cost of zero-carbon electricity drop. There's a chance that it could outcompete today's production just
4: on cost, without needing subsidies, without even needing them to change some of their
3: equipment. So, could be really cheap. One place that's a leader in cheap and plentiful zero-carbon electricity is Sweden, where SSAB is located. It has a lot of hydropower and nuclear. And Martin Pei believed that having that zero-carbon power would make it possible to generate a lot of zero-carbon hydrogen for steel.
2: I was uh, really convinced that uh, under certain circumstances, this approach uh, will be commercially relevant uh, earlier than other places. And Sweden is... uh, uh, such a uh, say sweet spot, we we'll call it.
3: This is why Martin Pay's company, SSAB, is building a 100% carbon-free steel plant right now in Sweden. It's called Hybrid, and it's slated to begin operation in 2026. No surprise, they're going to be using hydrogen instead of coal. And many other steel manufacturers are lining up to give this front runner a try. The hope is that projects like Hybrid will show the rest of the world that hydrogen is the technology to use in steelmaking.
4: Hydrogen is... The Usain Bolt, in this analogy, the
1: greatest sprinter of all time.
4: Flashy. Everyone wants a piece of him. Throwing kisses to the crowd. Everybody thinks the winner by far, obviously.
0: With a flair for the dramatic. The reason why we close track and field meets around the world now is because they want this guy on your screen to have the last say.
3: Will completely shift the steel industry
0: this planet, Tom Hammond, to challenge this young man.
3: Or not, because there's a fourth competitor, and he's right next to Usain Bolt.
4: Next to him, you have the scrappy little electrolysis guy who... Can't quite believe he's there with all of these
3: amazing other stars, but huge potential. Maybe even the potential to outcompete hydrogen. It's a technology that skips coal and hydrogen altogether. In electrolysis, you send electricity right through molten iron ore. It's futuristic, it's buzzy, it's shiny, because the way that that works
4: is you just have your hunk of molten metal mixed in with a few other things. And then you have two electrodes that you stick into it. And you run an electric current through that. And then one side becomes positive and one side becomes negative, going back to like high school chemistry and physics here. And so all of your metal is attracted to one side and all of your impurities are attracted to the other side. So they're like rushing away from each other to get to the electrode that they like best. And so what you end up with is, All of your impurities coming off as gases on the one side, and all of your metal at the other.
3: The thing is, this is a really early stage technology in the green steel race. Like, torn up t-shirt, tying his shoes at the last minute, trying to get ready. If the technology improves fast enough, it could outcompete hydrogen, but it's got a long way to go. If we look at this issue from 30,000 feet, none of these technologies can clean up the steel industry single-handedly. Twenty years from now, we might see a 70, 80, or even 90% reduction in steel emissions. But it won't be because recycling, or CCS, or hydrogen, or electrolysis cross the finish line first. I do think it is a
4: race but I think it's a relay race. Because a lot of these things, you just exhaust their potential after a while.
3: A relay race. All of these technologies working together to get us to net zero steel.
1: So the two fastest countries of all time into the blocks with the Olympic gold medal in the balance.
4: So with recycling, you're limited by how much scrap you can get. We can't just start tearing things down in order to recycle them. So it's like, The veteran sprinter, the recycler, he does the first leg.
2: And there's the gun. Carter for Jamaica, Kinlan's for the U.S.
4: And that's what companies are doing. They're recycling more. But you're going to get to the end of what you can do there. And then maybe you pass off to carbon capture.
1: Here comes the first baton exchange. Justin Gatlin takes the baton for the United States.
4: By then, that's when you have Usain Bolt and the protege. You have hydrogen and you have electrolysis.
1: You have to think the U.S. has a little bit of a lead here, Tom. Gallon has done the job down the back stretch. Here's Tyson Gay for the U.S., Johan Blake for Jamaica. It's the U.S. and Jamaica right together. I don't
4: envy the coach trying to figure out which one of them to put in last.
1: Here come the anchors. It will be Usain Bolt
0: against Ryan
1: Bailey.
4: Because when we are looking at these technologies, there's some instances where electrolysis is way better. There's some instances where hydrogen
3: is way better. And right now, Hydrogen, our technological Usain Bolt, is out in front.
2: And here's Bolden Bailey side by side through the home straightaway. And both edges ahead, both pulling away. Across the line, Jamaica, US, world record.
3: So let's recap. Manufacturers are in a race to green steel. Why? Because customers are demanding it. Traditionally, to make steel, they would heat up iron ore to really hot temperatures and they combine it with coal to turn it into iron. And this is where the vast majority of emissions come from in the steelmaking process, which means it's where we need to focus our efforts. So there are four options to get us there. One, we can use less steel. Two, we can recycle as much steel as possible using electric arc furnaces powered by zero-carbon electricity. Three, we can capture the carbon dioxide from steel plants and store it underground. And four, we can completely replace the fossil fuels steel steelmaking, either with hydrogen or electrolysis, or maybe both. But the most important thing for the industry is just to get moving. Is this like a, you want to be Usain Bolt, you got to get off the couch today and start training kind of Exactly. Analogy? Exactly. Okay. Couch to 5K immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that's our show. Next up on The Big Switch, hydrogen. The Big Switch is produced by Columbia University Center on Global Energy Policy in partnership with PostScript Media. This episode was produced by Daniel Waldorf and Dalvin Abawaje. The story editing was by Anne Bailey. Mixing and scoring by Sean Marquand and Greg Vilfrank. Theme song by Sean Marquand. A special thanks to our Columbia team, Kirsten Smith, Q Lee, Liz Smith, and Natalie Volk. Our managing producer is Cecily Meza-Martinez, and our executive editor is Stephen Lacey. Another special thanks to our favorite sprinter. Hopefully he likes our metaphor. Let's hope Usain Bolt doesn't at me on Twitter. I'm not hydrogen. I'm Dr. Melissa Lott, and this is The Big Switch.